Hello and welcome back to I Swear I Never, the podcast where we talk to ordinary people who find themselves in extraordinary situations, situations they swear they never could have predicted. Every week we have a different theme and this week's theme is self-love. It's all about loving yourself, knowing yourself, accepting yourself. We spoke to Kurek Ashley, who is a man who suffered a very tragic accident on a movie set. But after hitting rock bottom and dealing with all that trauma, he found a way through and the answer was loving himself. But before we get into that, who are you? I'm Beck Day. Who are you? I'm Nina Young and I've never had a problem with loving myself, except maybe <laughs> a little too much. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I'm really happy to be back day. Oh, I love that. Yeah, uh, I, I, yeah, I feel like it's 2022, you know, it, like no one else is going to love you if you don't love yourself. And I feel I'm like one of, the- <laughs> one of the best things about getting older is that you have a chance to work on the things that you don't love so much about yourself um, or that you used to be, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, you should be hard on yourself and relentlessly aspire to, you know, eradicate yourself of all fault. But I do find now that I have more of a chance to go, you know, I in my 20s wasn't so great at listening mm. to other people's points of view or I wasn't so great at genuinely showing up for things, you know, and now I've, you know, I've had a chance to rectify that. And so I can also be proud of the things that I have kind of done to change my personality for the better. (laughs) I don't think you realise how much you've changed until like I went to a friend's engagement party and saw people I hadn't seen in like 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I just felt like their view of me was like, I was like, I don't know this person that they're talking about. They're like, mm. oh, that's so you to like get into an argument with a stranger. And I was like, I, would, I wouldn't do that. Uh, but like, <laughs> I, I mean, hi, have you met yourself? <laughs> but, no, but it's, I agree. It's, it's interesting if you have that gap in time, you're like, I have actually changed a lot in 10 years. I don't recognize the person that they recognize me as anymore. Um, for the better, I think. Oh, absolutely. Uh, what yeah. are the, what's the thing you love the most about yourself? Um, everything. <laughs> to begin with, everything. <laughs> you know, I once, uh, when I was going through one of my, like, mental health breakdowns in my 20s um, and I was, like, in a psych ward and I was talking to the, the people about, like, I was like, I don't think I have depression. Like, maybe I have depression um but like I feel like depression is associated with like self-esteem issues I don't think I have self-esteem issues and the guy was like I mean first of all that's not true so don't take that as gospel but the guy was like no I would categorize you as having high self-esteem and I was like now looking back at the time I was like what a compliment and now looking back I'm like that's a real nice way to get diagnosed as a narcissist No, we're not really worried about the self-esteem part of the puzzle. Actually, you could take I, it down a notch. I do these affirmations with my kids, these like um, self-esteem aff- affirmations every night. And it's, you know, I am strong, I am brave, I am kind, I am compassionate, blah, blah, blah. And um, I was doing them with my two-and-a-half-year-old who is quite spirited and, you know, deeply, deeply <laughs> in love with herself. She often kisses the mirror. My mum overheard me and she was up for the night and she was like, I heard I heard you doing those affirmations um, with the kids. I, you know, I've met your kids. I don't think self-esteem is, is really their area of work in this life, so maybe you can <laughs> dial back <laughs> the self-congratulatory uh, affirmations. And I thought, oh, yeah, well, I guess my job here is done then. 
But yeah, I mean, people, I've heard people say like this next generation are going to be so like self-involved because of this kind of like love yourself, you're amazing and you're perfect dialogue that we're giving them. But I don't think that's true. I think that, you know, learning to love yourself is something that we desperately needed more of, like Kurek is talking about in this interview, you know, back in the 80s when, when this happened, dealing with trauma was not really a thing. You kind of just got over it or you didn't mm. really. You just kind of buried it and dealt with the issues as they came up. Um, so I think that this generation is going to be the most well-versed in dealing with trauma in a healthy way and it's going to be from that base of self-love and confidence. 100%. I'm really excited to hear what he has to say. So shall we get into it? Let's shall. <laughs> Back in the 80s, Kurek Ashley was living the Hollywood dream. Uh, I started when I was 12 years old at um, Second City in Chicago and then um, moved to L.A. when I was 18 years old and uh, did my first speaking role with a, a movie of John Travolta, Libby Newton-John, called Two of a Kind, and um, wound up uh, getting on a movie called Delta Force Two with Chuck Norris in 1989. I just finished the movie Lock Up with Sylvester Stallone, and uh, now is on the way to the Philippines. One of the things, though, that <clears throat> I also did over 500 movies behind the camera as a key and dolly grip and uh, special effects and was the assistant to a director for 13 years. He was 27 years old at the time and was excited to be working on a film with a lot of his friends. And so when I got to the Philippines to do Delta Force 2, some of my best friends were actually on the movie, including Mike Graham, who's the key grip, Don Marshall, the one of the stunt guys. So it was like a, kind of the time of my life. Just finished working with Stallone, now on the way to work with Chuck Norris. Kurek had a speaking role in the film. The day his life changed forever started as a standard day on an action movie set. It was a Friday night, and um, I'd been in the helicopter about 15 times that day, and we had to go up 15 feet, shoot two lines of dialogue. Um, it was like a, just an insert shot, and then um, uh, we were on top of a, an extinct, a rim of an extinct volcano in a place called Tagatai City, and uh, right as the chopper was hovering about two feet off the ground, the cameraman shifted the camera where I couldn't, I wasn't being photographed anymore. So I stepped out, the other door gunner stepped out, chopper went up. That moment, the moment Kurek stepped off the chopper was a sliding doors moment. He remained on the ground as his friends went up one more time in the helicopter and then disaster struck. When it went up to hovering about 15 feet to get the dialogue, um, it just drifted out over the edge of the rim of the kind of um, cliffs and bluffs that we were on. And uh, you could see uh, there was like this pop sound, you know, like you saw the, um, the pilots fighting for the controls. And you can see the panic look on his face. The rest of the guys in the chopper didn't even know what was going on just yet. But because it was so close, you could see what was going on. And then there was this loud pop and the engine went silent and you could just hear the rotors going around with no engine anymore. You know, it was just this whooshing sound. And then it just started to drop. And so I started running for the road um, that would take me down the hill, down this mountainside that we were on. And I was yelling, chopper's going down, chopper's going down. And 
um, <clears throat> by the time I got around the first bend, you could hear the the impact if it hit the road and the glass and the metal and the, and the rest of this thing. The most terif- terrifying thing I can share with you is that um, was that helpless feeling of seeing it start to dip over the cliff and you want to reach out like Rambo or something and grab it and, you know, but there's nothing that will, ha- you know, help it. And uh, and then, like I said, hearing that impact um, because I didn't know what I was going to find when I came around that last bend, you know, but the chopper had nosedived into a road at the bottom of the hill and uh, fell over on its side. It was smoking, all the blades sheared off, you know. Um, so, yeah, it was pretty horrendous. You know, I remember seeing the face of the other stunt guy who stepped out of the chopper with me, you know, and really seasoned, tough stunt guy, you know, and the look of terror on his face where both of us are standing at the edge of the the bluffs as the chopper's going over and, you know, your body's trying to react of what to do. And so I just decided to run for the hill, uh, run for the road rather, and get down there as fast as I could. When Kurek reached the scene, it was like something out of a nightmare as his friends lay dead or dying. I lost five of my friends that day. Five of my friends died. Uh, Mike, uh, the key grip was on fire when I carried him out of the helicopter. I went back. It was fully engulfed. And uh, I went in to get him and um, he was seat belted to the floor because there was no uh, seats in the chopper because it was kind of a military uh, chopper. And so when the chopper fell on its side, because he's on the floor, it's now it's like he's hanging off the wall by his seatbelt. And uh, his seatbelt had literally just melted and he fell in my arms right when I got to him and carried him out. He was, he uh, he died on in my arms on the way to the hospital after bringing him back five times at CPR. And then uh, Jeff Brewer, uh, the stud guy, his uh, son had just turned two years old, two days before the crash. And uh, he died. Uh, Don Brewer, the stunt, uh, the uh, the uh, lighting director, uh, died. Uh, the pilot, Jojo Imperial, and um, yeah, we lost five guys that day. The next few months and years were a dark time for Kurek as survivors' guilt set in. It was the '80s, and what we know now about the effects of trauma and the importance of early treatment wasn't as widely known then. I didn't have any really formal therapy. I, you know, reached out to different places. It just seems like when you're in that dark space, like nobody really understands what you're going through, that there's nobody who could comprehend this. You know, there's nothing that anybody could say. That's only because, you know, I was caught up focusing on how I failed at not saving five people's lives, you know, because I'm not Superman, even though I tried my very best. Um, you know, the uh, cameraman, Gadi Donzik, who was a friend of mine who also died, he was trapped under the helicopter dead, you know, and I lifted it up off of him to get him out by myself. It's amazing what you can do, but I still couldn't bring him back to life. Uh, for two and a half years after the crash, um, every night I had a 357 Smith & Wesson pistol in my mouth with the hammer pulled back and my finger on the trigger, counting myself down. I, I pumped five grams of cocaine in my nose every night and cigarettes and booze. And I wasn't partying. I was just trying to kill myself. Thank God I'm not a success at everything in life. Um, 
And then one day I woke up and I realized that your life's not your own. You know, there's people who care about you and love you. And there's people you don't even know about that look up to you. You know, you're their inspiration. You know, they're, you're a person that was nice to them on a dark day or something. And I realized this can't be my legacy. And so I unscrewed a broom pole uh, out of a broom and held it over my head like a samurai warrior and cut a line in the sand in my backyard in California and and said, once I step over this line, I'm done. And so, um, you know, what changed my life more than anything else, it was just really one question, which was, what's great about this? And I, you know, I know it sounds like a very strange question to ask, you know, especially about something so dark and, you know, so horrific, but when you ask it, you get the answers. And, you know, when I started asking what's great about it is that, well, first I actually lived, you know, we forget about that part and that I did save, you know, uh, two people's lives and three people lived out of the crash. And, um, that, uh, you know, my buddy Mike died in my arms, not in a stranger's arms. And that everything that could have been done for every one of the guys was done for him because I was there doing it and witnessing it from other people, you know, I mean, Chuck Norris gave blood twice in one night for one of the stunt guys and Aaron Norris, his brother, who's the director gave blood three times in one night, which is pretty much against the law, but in the Philippines, it wasn't, but, uh, you know, it's just everybody putting everything on the line to help these guys. Um, and so just asking that question, you know, and it turned it around. So it took it from my darkest, moment in my life to one of the most transformational one of the most powerful transformational moments in my life and i gave up cocaine i gave up cigarettes i gave up alcohol abuse i gave all my guns away not to just people wandering down the street um i gave them away to gun collector friends of mine and uh, turned my life around we'll take a short break here and we'll come back with more I'm Sarah Lamarquin, Editor-in-Chief of Stella and host of our podcast called Something to Talk About. Every weekend we publish a new episode where you'll hear compelling personalities, strong opinions and thought-provoking conversations. I wanted to be able to do it in my time when I was ready and speak my truth when I was ready. The topic of when do I become a mum, that is in my mind 24-7. Search for Something to Talk About wherever you listen to your podcasts. Making big changes isn't easy, but taking the first step is important. Step one is always making the decision, you know, because people say, oh, it took me a long time to quit smoking as an example. Well, the truth is it just took them a long time to make the decision. Once you make the decision that cuts off anything from this point forward, you know, and, and one of the things that successful people we say to ourselves is, I don't know how I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it anyways. You know, but I'm not backing down. And then every day you have to be consistent with that decision. You've got to be committed to it. So just today, this is it. I'm staying with it. And then pretty soon, you know, time gets on your side where you get so far away from the old behavior that it it's kind of been hard to remember that you did it. Kurek has gone from that dark moment to become wildly successful as a speaker, a best-selling author, and a life coach, among many other things. Well, I'm retired from Hollywood. It's just not what people think it is. You know, there's there's no glamour in Hollywood. Not even the parties are glamour. It's always insecure people trying to upstage each other, trying to get the next job, you know. Um, and it, it's, a, it's an industry and it's a business. And I'm still friends with Sylvester Stallone and John Travolta. And they're people, you know, I mean, they're guys that I, that I work with. 
But my career these days, I've been a number one best-selling author for the past almost 12 years now. My book's called How Would Love Respond? And I'm a success coach and a world-class speaker. I'm all over the world doing stuff. I I still have a, Hollywood, a big Hollywood contingency of clients, directors, producers, actors, composers. Yeah, I'm much more fulfilled in life, you know, because I, I get to watch people fill their dreams, live their dreams and produce amazing results in their life. And, and it's much more fulfilling. And like I said, I still have a lot of Hollywood people um, that I work with as clients and friends and the rest of those things. So, but it's, it's just not what I want to do anymore. And the funny thing is I get asked every once in a while and I'm just not interested. Uh, you know, my, my mission statement in life is to create global abundance through love and love and empowerment. And, you know, that's how I want to remember this. I live my life. I, you know, people who know me say, Purik, you've lived like 17 lives. Like it's unbelievable how much you've jammed in, you know, the movie stars that you hang out with, the rock stars, the, you know, gold medals at the Sydney Olympics with the women's beach volleyball team and all the things that you've done. And, um, that I lived, I lived fully that, you know, yes, I'm a organ donor and all that stuff, but there's probably not going to be anything left when I get done just because I used it all. I asked him after helping so many people through big life changes, what would he want to go back and tell his past self now? That it actually works out. It all turns out okay. So take a breath, you know, get some help, ask some better questions, um, but it's going to be okay. It's, uh, you know, it's funny if we could, if we could ask our 85 year old self, you know, a lot of stuff that we get hung up on our younger self, you know, kind of laugh at you going, dude, it's not that big of a deal. You know, it's a wife that left you. It's a, it's a this that happened or whatever, you know, you get past it. And, um, and I think that's what I would, uh, advise myself over the time. And then just, you know what, don't waste time feeling bad. You know, the purpose of your life is to enjoy it. Um, so get to it, you know, as fast as possible. And yes, you'll always feel like here it is 30 plus years since the loss of my friends. I still feel it. I still miss them, but also it, it makes me live more because, you know, you know, you're going to die. I had to, I faced it many times and, um, but also is that, uh, if, if, if I could honor their lives, that would be mean, you know, for me to live mine the fullest. And the biggest block that Curex sees in people trying to move forward from their past and make change? Self-love. Uh, lack of self-love. I mean, every issue we have in this lifetime is a self-love issue. If you really loved yourself more, would you allow yourself to stay poor or live a mediocre life when you could be living an abundant life, you know, or a happy life? Would you be with a partner that abuses you or a loveless relationship or whatever? No, you know, love doesn't respond that way. Love would want you to have everything. So when we raise our expectations on ourselves because most people wish really big but they expect very little and in life you get what you expect so raise your expectations of yourself and you'll live up to those expectations you know it's funny because then you'll find the people to help you you'll find the strategies you'll put the actions into play when you expect it out of yourself and that would come from again loving yourself at that level you go that's the life i want to live usually uh um you know, our, our best strategies come from, well, usually problems. You know, our best uh, um, uh, lessons of life come from pain. 
And so, you know, the, the stuff I went through after the helicopter wreck and the rest of the stuff, in my search for survival, just to stay alive, you know, I discovered the power of self-love. And, you know, just through all the research and the reading and the studying and the working on myself, and I realized all the personal development was an act of self-love. And then when I got it, that every issue we have, I mean, is self-love. You know, so I'm at this point, I'm 61. I got abs. I'm still in shape. Um, I've got a beautiful relationship. I got an amazing 10 year old son that I spend a lot of focused time with and and the rest of things. So that all came from, you know, the troubles and trials, trials and tribulations of life that taught me how to do it better because I don't want it that I don't want it to be painful. But how do you move past a bitter feeling like pain or trauma or anger? You learn to let it go. You know, Buddha talks about detachment. You know, anything that we hold on to creates gravity and drags you down. Let it go. I mean, you know, the funny thing is people always say, oh, well, time healed it. You know, time went by. Well, if you know that, why don't you just do it now? I mean, what time? Six months, three months, one month, a day, how much time? And if it was six months, sure it wasn't five months and 29 days, you know, 28 days. Oh, it could be four months. You might as well just make it now. And that would just be by letting it go and, you know, um, asking what's great about this and, you know, uh, what's an empowering way that I can look at this or respond to this and just let it go. I mean, I've been ripped off in business uh, by like, for for instance, promoters in Singapore for a quarter million dollars once cash, you know? And I asked, what would Richard Branson do here? You know, if this was his business, he go, let it go. Anyways, fix that. So it doesn't happen again. Let it go. And I'm like, well, if you want to be a billionaire, act like one, which means think like one, let it go. You know, and not, not that I, I didn't miss the money. I earned it. I deserved it. Not so rich that I just throw that kind of money away. But if it's not coming back, what's the point? Let it go. And the Bible says, let go and let God. See, it keeps saying, let it go. Let the universe do its job. Kurek hopes his story of survival can help inspire others who are also struggling. Honestly, if I can do it, anybody can do it. I mean, I barely graduated high school. I mean, I uh, I did graduate, um, but if I got D's, I was happy because I passed. I didn't have to do this class again. It just was, it was a great place to hang out with my friends. Um, you know, I had to later on go and educate myself on all that stuff that I didn't pay attention to in school, but um I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed. I am a person who applies myself. So number one is I have the right mindset, which is um, I can pretty much do anything with the right mindset and develop some new skill sets. So because of that, uh, I just opened myself up to going, okay, who's doing it great? What are they doing? Go do that, produce the result. And so if I can do that, anybody can do it. And um, you know, at the end of his lifetime, if you look back over it and go, this was awesome, I loved it, you win. If you go, man, this is all struggle and strain and stress and fighting and um, what's the point? So I, I would say is that's the number one thing is just to live it, 
Love it. Enjoy it. A huge thank you to Kirak for joining us and sharing his story. You can find out more about what he's up to at his website, kurakashley.com. And if you've ever found yourself in a situation you swear you never could have predicted, we want to hear all about it. You can email us at isin at news.com.au or give us a follow over on Instagram where you can find us at isinpodcast. We're going to be back next week with another episode and I hope your life is filled with only good things. Until then. I'm Felicity Harley and I host Healthy-ish, where we chat to experts, influencers and people in the know from around the globe to arm you with the knowledge to make healthier decisions for your mind, body and soul. I think if we're going to be focusing on health, like sleep is probably the biggest component of that. I I think sleep is the cornerstone. Like choose the harder option because I've never woken up and gone, I regret that run that I went at 4am. I've never done that. Search for Healthy-ish and Extra Healthy-ish wherever you get your podcasts.